Hi everyone, I'm Margot Faraci. Welcome to Heart and Hustle, How to Thrive in a Crisis. In this podcast series, our job is to help you, the listening community, learn, normalise and thrive in these really tricky times with lessons from leaders in a range of fields about their experiences and insights during coronavirus. Now today I'm talking with Richard Faccioni. He's the Executive Director of Alcyon Group and he's a really well-known investor and retail identity. He operates a diverse group of businesses including Lego certified stores, the well-known e-tailer Surfstitch, high-end fashion label Ginger and Smart and a portfolio of more than 40 discount variety stores with cheapest chips. Now, he's also executive chairman of the country's largest apparel group, the ASX-listed Mosaic Brands, which represents a substantial part of Australia's mass fashion landscape with more than 1,200 stores and a portfolio of brands including Noni B, Rockman's, W Lane, Katie's and Miller's. Richard, thank you so much for making time to join us today. Hi, Margot, and uh, thanks for inviting me. Now, you've had a really interesting career. You went from engineer to investor. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it's a funny sort of journey I've taken, I guess. I studied engineering because I loved maths and science uh, as a kid and thought, oh, well, it's a good way to, to, to combine those. Studied engineering and then went to work engineer and actually didn't enjoy it at all. Yeah. Uh, and the thing that, that really got me was there was another guy that was working there with me when I started and he'd been there for seven years and he was doing the same work that I was doing and I thought oh there's something wrong here that just doesn't doesn't feel right so I thought no this isn't the place for me I need to do something else uh, and, and I was young and naive at the time and we were designing high-rise buildings and I was like well I don't want to be the guy designing the building I want to be the guy who made the decision to put the building up Aha. in the first place right? so uh, that sort of ambition was there from very early on so I went from engineer I, last, I lasted all of three months as an engineer went to management consulting then moved to Macquarie Bank, was there for quite a few years, did an MBA along the way, and then ended up in, in private equity uh, a few years ago. But I've always been someone who thrives on change, and, and the thought of the status quo just terrifies me, actually. So I'm always looking for something new. So that's kind of... So, you know, I always when I talk to people that are starting out in their careers, I always say, you know, don't... Don't try and think about where you're going to end up. Because I can tell you now, wherever you think you're going to end up, you're going to end up somewhere completely different. Beautiful. So, you know, it just, just it's a journey. Go with and it. And there's going to be twists and turns along the way and just, just enjoy it. And there's realisations at every point. You want to be the guy who's deciding to build the... The building. <laughs> exactly. Now, 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 Richard, you're you're a private equity guy. You're a, you're a spreadsheets guy. You've just told us you're highly numerate, into the numbers. But I know that you also understand acutely that how much emotion is actually involved in business. You know, I, I've over my career, I've probably met thousands of business owners, banked thousands, and you know, have come from a business owner family. And whenever I go out to a client, they always start talking to me about the dollars and cents. And when I ask why and why and why, what really comes out is why they're really doing things. It's because of family background. It's to prove something to someone. It's emotion. Can you tell me about the emotion that you see in business and also the emotion you've seen in the crisis recently? Mm. You know, you, business at the end of the day is about people and business is people, right? It's a bunch of people doing doing stuff. So there's the emotion uh, and the human side within the business, mm-hmm. but then also in, in, in an industry like retail, there's the consumer side as well and consumer sentiment and consumer emotion. And that really dictates how we perform as a business. So through the crisis, managing all those internal uh, emotions within the teams, within the businesses, um, has been 
you know, um, something we've really had to focus on and a bit of a bit of a, a challenge at times, but it's been a real area of focus at ours. But also through this crisis, managing the business as consumer sentiment changes and changes very rapidly and responding to that. So that emotional side that is really outside of your control uh, and it's happening outside of the business, but it's impacting you. So, um, you know, I use the example through, you know, over the last few weeks as Victoria was going into its unfortunate second wave and heading towards lockdown and just before they went into lockdown and in our retail businesses, we immediately saw a sharp drop in retail sales in New South Wales and Queensland, which weren't being affected by what was happening in Victoria, but sentiment was being affected. And it was almost like this, you know, this negative sentiment just spread up the east coast of Australia just literally overnight. And we saw it immediately. We just saw that immediate reaction. And we had to respond to that. But at first, we thought, what's going on? I mean, it's all happening in Victoria. You're not going into lockdown, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, but people in New South Wales were worried about, well, are we going to go into lockdown? And people in Queensland were worried about, well, are they going to come here and spread it here? And so you just had that immediate knock-on effect. But it, it, it just moved so quickly. Mm. And to respond to that, it was just... Uh, it's extraordinary. And it is that emotion that then drives the outcome on the spreadsheets, of course. Absolutely. The uh, And, you know, you're in the retail game. Uh, the retail game as a whole, we're hearing a lot about that and how difficult it is. Part of what you do is owning the Mosaic group of brands, so we're going to talk a little bit about that. But before we do, I think it's important to point out that not all retail is equal, and even within your own portfolio, some retail's going really well. Yeah. And that, that is the amazing thing. So when the crisis first hit, and if you go back to, I guess, um, uh, early March when things were really starting to, to, to turn, we didn't know how the businesses were going to respond. So we, we, we took a blanket approach across all the businesses. Uh, we said to all the businesses, cut your costs, preserve cash, right? And batten down the hatches because we've, you know, this, this is going to get bad. Great advice in a crisis. Right. But then what we then saw is Cheapest Chips, which is a discount variety yeah. business, took off. And it was it was doing, you know, 30, 40, 50% sale improvement on, on the previous year because they were selling all those household essential mm-hmm. items that that Woolworths was running out of yeah. and Kmart was running out of. So immediately the, the response to the, the CEO of Cheapest Chips was, you need to now run with this. This is like you're, you're, you're catching a wave. Catch it. Ride it all the way to shore, mate. Um, same with Lego. Apart from the period that we had to close those stores, people were buying, loading up on of Lego course. because something to do at home because everyone was spending a lot of time at home. Contrast that with Mosaic Brand. And Surf Stitch, which is an online business, was doing very well, particularly through the lockdown period because people were buying lots of stuff online. Contrast that with Mosaic Brands, which sells um, smart, predominantly smart to casual women's apparel to a more mature female shopper, well, she wasn't going out. She's the one who's most at risk, mm-hmm. you know, the evidence says, uh, of catching coronavirus or COVID. And so that business um, was really, really hurt. But we took the necessary actions to get that business through, which we've done. But it was just amazing. You know, there was no cookie-cutter approach. You, talk, you kind of take the cookie-cutter approach at the beginning because you just don't know what's going to happen, but mm-hmm. then you very quickly need to respond and say, well, we can let these guys run with it and these guys need a little bit more care and attention. And, you know, you take a different approach with each business as you work your way through it. Fascinating. I mean, it really was. And, and some really tough calls to make. So with Mosaic Brands, you've mentioned you've had to make some um, tough decisions. Mm. You would have known that they would have attracted some heat. We've read yep. some press this week yep. about those. <clears throat> You know, 
knowing that you had to make those decisions, I have seen um, you guys talking about the safety and well-being of your employees. Uh, you've talked about landlords not responding to the future of retail. You know, when you're in the room making those kinds of decisions, for a lot of people, they're hard enough when you're making them for your business. But for you, knowing that that was going to end up having a public impact, knowing that you would have shareholders on the phone, talk us through that process. Yeah, you you know you're going to cop public flack yeah. and you know you're going to make some some shareholders unhappy, but you you do develop thick skin. You just say, well, that's, that's kind of the collateral mm-hmm. damage that you have to deal with. We have to make the right business decisions. We were one of the first to close our stores and to stand down our, our team, um, if not one of the first, the first very early on. 7,000, 6,500 employees, 1,350 stores. I mean, this, that was not a minor, it was a massive exercise. We didn't even know what standing down a team was or how you do it. No we, one did. Know, no one did, right? <laughs> we, we we didn't even know if it was legal. We were we were on the phone with with the the, the minister with Michaela Cash. We had lawyers on the phone. We had um, advisors on the phone. You know, we were up to. I remember it was a Monday evening. We closed our stores. We announced it on the Wednesday. It was a Monday evening. We worked late into the night. And we made the call because it was the right business decision for the business to survive. We knew we were going to cop some flack, but that's kind of that's part of our job to cop mm-hmm. that. What was most important is how we message that then to the teams and how we look after the teams through that. Because, yeah. you know, if you're a, a, a store manager in, I don't know, Coffs Harbour or Kalgoorlie or something, it's, you know, you're so far away from head office what does this mean for me? Yes. Am I out of a job now? Am I ever going to get my job back? Is yes. the store ever going to reopen? So all of that messaging and communication becomes really, really critical. And that's where, you know, the press might be spinning a particular story. We've got to make sure that we're giving the right messages to our teams yes. and ensuring that they don't focus too much on the press because the press will say what it's going to say. Yeah. And just, you know, keep them um, focused on what the true messaging is. We made all the right calls. We made them early. They were hard calls. But would I have done it differently? No, I think I think we did a pretty good job, actually. Good. In retrospect. And, and you know, with every crisis and the opportunity to thrive, there also comes um, little gifts. Sometimes we call them mistakes. Are there different things, are there lessons that you've had during this that have made you look differently at businesses? Are there things you, you would do differently if you had your time again six months ago, five months ago? Well, I think I think what this has ta- taught us is, you know, gee, a- anything anything is possible. Anything is possible. I mean, who would have thought a year ago that we would have a global pandemic, right? And you know, it seems like a lifetime ago now. But we went through the bushfires, and we survived the bushfires. And twenty percent of our of Mosaic's stores are in areas that were directly affected right. by the bushfires, right? So that had a huge impact on us. We got through that, and we thought. Okay, breathe a sigh of relief. We can now get on with the rest of the year, and then and then you know COVID hit, one one off the back of the other. So, I think what it has taught us is Gladys might feel the same way. By the way, <laughs> I don't sure. think she slept since about November. Uh, I know, I know, we're not alone. I know that. But you just have to always be prepared for something to come at you from left field. Yeah, you don't know what the ne- we don't know what the next one's yeah. going to be, but yeah. there'll be another one. And to back yourself through it, and really, because you know what's it. right. It's yeah. just ma- it's having the courage to do what's right. I think. Sometimes. But part of that is also, Margot. It's it's you know you get so bogged down, and this is I think the 
the role that I try and play with each of the businesses. You get very bogged down on dealing with today's issues, today's, you know, crisis, what this means on, for the business today. Mm. And part of my job is to work with my CEOs and my MDs <clears throat> and, and help them see through the crisis. Mm. As, as, as horrible as it feels, as bad as it is at the moment, it's a point in time. Mm. We are going to get through it. Mm. So we need to look through to what that looks like and how do we as a business want to look when we get through it and <clears throat> what are the actions we want to be taking now to best position ourselves for when we get through this because we will get through it. So part of my job is to keep them focused on that, you know, through through the crisis rather than just focusing on what we're doing in the crisis. Lift the gaze almost. Absolutely. And and I know that you do have this attitude of, you know, whatever we're doing, it's never good enough. We have mm. to continually improve. So looking to the future, of course, you've got retail investments, but not only retail investments, you invest in a whole range of things. And I'm sure there'll be opportunities for acquisition for you and as there have been in the past. So for anyone listening who might be taking some opportunistic acquisitions or thinking about that, because things will drop out and players will leave the market, which will leave um, assets ready to be bought. What advice would you have for people having made so many acquisitions yourself in a range of in industries? What advice would you have for people thinking about it? I think uh, the next period of, you know, whether it's six, 12 months longer, it, it is going to present some really interesting opportunities. And there's <clears throat> going to be a lot of businesses that will present themselves either for acquisition, outright acquisition, or for investment, people looking for a partner. So there's going to be some great opportunities, I think. Our, our approach when we look at businesses we always look at, you know, the foundations of the business have to be have to be good, even if it's, it may not be profitable, but there may be obvious reasons why it's not mm. profitable and why it's, it, it may be in a working capital uh, stressed situation that we need to deal with. But as long as the foundations of the business are good, but we always say, well, what are the two or three things that we know we can control in this business that can make it a better business? And we focus on the things that we can control. So we don't focus on things, on externalities. We don't focus on things like, well, if we could just improve sales by 5%, we'd be okay. Mm -hmm. We know we can't control sales. The customer controls sales. We can influence, That's but nice. we can't control. Nice, yeah. What we can control is our cost of doing business. What we can control is our um, cost of goods. So we look at those things that we can control. What can we do there to make the business better? And then what are the levers that we can pull that when something comes at us from outside the business, something that we can't control, that we can pull those levers to respond. Because the market will be what it will be. Absolutely. Outside your control. Absolutely. But it's internally what you can do. That, and we always focus on what do we control. And, we, you know, we have this saying, uh, and we have it at Mosaic Brands, and we say it in all of our retail businesses, we never talk about the weather. Okay? Never. Nice. Um, what that means is <laughs> don't use the weather as an excuse. Oh, sales were rubbish last week because it rained. Well, it's going to rain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to have heat waves. Yeah. And all that stuff's going to happen. Our job is to manage through that. We can't use that as an excuse because the minute is the minute you use it as an excuse, you've let yourself off the hook. Yeah. Right. Our job is to know it's going to rain. So what are we going to do when it rains? Yeah. Now we're going to have a heat wave. What do we do when we have a heat wave? And manage through that as best we can. You're still going to have rubbish sales, but maybe they'll be less rubbish than they would otherwise have been if you've taken the right actions. So it comes back to the point you made earlier always trying to improve, always trying to be better. That's our philosophy. And so we always talk about what can we control, what do we control, let's focus on that. 
direct accountability and mm. so important, I think, for so many business owners to hear because that is how every business owner has to operate. There is no choice but to do that. Richard, you go at a pace, mm. obviously. You know, one of the best pieces of advice I ever got was just find a way in your career to get paid to do your hobby. I reckon reading what you're doing, I reckon you're doing your hobby, but what do you do when you're not working? That's a good question. Those couple of hours a week when I'm not working. <laughs> That's what it feels like. No, I do I do exercise a lot. Yeah. I try and exercise pretty much every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I find that that's a, a great... Firstly, what we do, you know, it's a pretty sedentary career when mm. you think about it. So it keeps you fit. Um, but it also mentally keeps you mentally fit. It allows you mm. to... Um, to, to switch off and, and just and also just think things through. So I do that. I like to listen to music. Yeah, this is going to sound weird, but sometimes, you know, you might have a really difficult problem in one of your business or a strategic issue you're trying to work through. And actually, it can be quite relaxing to just sit back in a lounge chair, just free thinking about that issue and just jotting down some notes in a different environment and something will come to you that otherwise wouldn't. I can find that quite relaxing as well. You know, Paul Keating, when he was Prime Minister, used to, he says, take every Wednesday morning to himself and just listen to classical music and all the problems would get solved in the back of his mind. There's definitely something to that. Richard, thanks for coming in and thanks for sharing your insights. You're welcome. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. I hope from this you've got some ideas and some themes about how to thrive in a crisis. Now, you can definitely hit the subscribe button if you want to hear more of the show and give us a rating as well. Thanks again for listening. See you soon.